This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey up, it's the No Name Never podcast, with your host, Jamie Smith. Hello and welcome to this week's No Name Never podcast, first podcast we've done for a couple of weeks and there has been a bit of news to start with. We are now an award-nominated podcast, we're up for a football blogging award and we'll go through that in a bit more detail later in the podcast. But we will start with the football and it was another home defeat for Burnley, I'm afraid. A 3-1 defeat at home to West Ham, but at least we scored another goal. Guest yeah. today on the podcast, Kevin Robinson, who's delighted with that goal, and Nathan Rogers. Um, Kevin, we'll start with you then. Burnley just didn't take the chance in the first half, did they? And that's what cost us. Um, definitely not. I think I thought we were... Throughout most of the pitch, I think we were close to outstanding in the first half. We were, we, we ripped them to shreds, uh, particularly George Boyd, um, was real fun in their side and we created so many chances we had so much possession that it was really smart possession as well we were building um in very much the same way which we did last season i think which i think we've struggled to do so far um i think we've been pushed too far back um in for, for most of this season but i think against leicester we, we showed signs that we were trying to build a bit more um as we were used to last season um and particularly on, on saturday we were building much more of a more of a team uh, rather than sending just one or two players up, we were pretty much going forward as, as the whole team. And I, 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 I really no idea how we didn't score um, in, in that first half. Both the strikers had a few chances, particularly um, Djokovic. I think he had three or four really good chances, which he should have really got got on target at least, um, but he, he didn't. And then second half, um, it, it, that that first goal killed it for me. Um, I remember the second one. It was it was game over, and to be honest, I think that first wins looking even despite how strong our first our first half was. I think our first wins looking further away than ever for me. I think it's it's a difficult one to assess in a way because we did play so well in that first half, and there were a lot of positives to take from it. But it's not usually a good sign if you're going to play well and then lose. So although West Ham are a good side, and we do need to give them a bit of credit for for killing us off at the start of the second half. I, I agree, I think it's concerning that we're not getting a result when we're playing like that. Nathan, what was your assessment of the game? Uh, yeah, kind of same as Kev, really. It was just a bit frustrating to watch. Uh, there were so many nearly chances. and um, But, you know, in that first half an hour, George Boyd and Trippi were putting in some 
amazing crosses and it would just it, it baffled me to how Djokovic and uh, Ings didn't latch on to anything and um, yeah it was, just, it was just quite frustrating to watch really and the fact that we didn't get an early goal that might have set us up for the rest of the game it just kind of we were the you know the creators of our own um, like downfall really The reaction after the break was so strange I mean because we've been on top so much for the first half I suppose it was inevitable that West Ham were going to be improved but for us to concede two goals within seven, eight minutes after the break. Two well-made goals, but again, defensively, from crosses, we just look a bit all over the place, don't we? Yeah, definitely. We're, um, I mean, the goals that were scored against us were two high-quality headers, really. They were just, you know, Tom Eaton had no chance of saving them, but defensively, there was no marking towards the strikers whatsoever, and, and that was just a bit concerning, really. I, I thought, having Duff and Shackle at the start of the season, I thought that would be a really good pairing. You know, they know they know each other really well, and they've just not been able to kind of step up, I think, in that area. So, yeah, we need to work on that. I think I think the concern for that with me is really weird, because last season we were so strong defensively. Um, and that, yeah, this season... Obviously, you, you, you we're going to concede a lot more goals in the Premier League, but we're not being the goals we're conceding at the moment are not just we're not being outplayed as such. It's not like you know in the Chelsea game where you have that incredible pass by Fabregas and some more just just outstanding play, which was just that was it, you you can't really defend against that. It was just top class attack. It's the real simple stuff, just like um, you know defending cones and defend, defending crosses. I think that's a frustrating thing for me, is because. We've gone from such a, an organised d- defence to one which is just getting the, the basics wrong. I'll tell you what's strange. We we had that run of clean sheets and looked like we were going to grind out a lot of draws. And then we had all the injuries. But the injuries haven't affected the defence. We've been able to put out the same defence, even with all the players missing everywhere else. Yet, in the last three games, we've conceded nine goals. Now, I, I do think one of the factors in that is that Dean Marnie's been injured. I think he provides a lot of protection from midfield. But defensively, Nathan, have you got any idea as to why we've been so much poorer in the last three games at the back? Um, honestly, I do think it comes from Dean Marnie, like you just said. I think he is um, he's one of them players that, you know, when he's not in the team, you do suffer. Like, he is willing to make a foul when some players aren't willing to. You know, he's willing to get himself booked for, you know, to prevent that attacker going through the mid through into the defence and you know uh, the the defence have really struggled with not having anyone in front of them to kind of rely on um, you know especially with like experienced heads like Matty Taylor and Reid not really playing much um, they've kind of struggled in you know that that gap between midfield and defence uh, and I think that's just cost us in in just the goals we've conceded. We certainly missed Dean Marnie when he was injured last season. I think our worst spell of the season was sort of um, um, November, December time, wasn't it? And that coincided with Marnie's run being out of the team. So uh, perhaps there's something there. Just on Matt Taylor, by the way, you mentioned Matt Taylor there, Nathan. He's had an operation. Um, I think it's been an Achilles problem that's kept him out for the last few weeks, but he seems to have had an op today, and it's been a success, apparently. So hopefully he'll be back sooner rather than later. Kevin, what's what's your um, take on the defensive protection issue? Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm not sure about it being Marnie. I think we we definitely look a lot a, a much weaker team with Dean Marnie in the team, and 
it's something that I, I, I did talk about when you f- was first out. Is that I think we we missed that protection he gives to the defence. It's something I said against Leicester as well. After the Leicester game, um, I said that I think him being out there, about being out of the team, does what was a big factor in his, his conceding goals. But if you look at a lot of the goals we've conceded while while he's been out, I don't think there's anything what he could have really done to stop those kind of goals. Um, I mean, you've got the. The, the corners against um, against West Brom. Um, I don't think Dean Marnie and the team is not going to... That's not going to stop um, t- uh, other calls. Jason Shacklin, Tom Heaton getting a, in a completely mess of the corners. Um, similarly against West Brom. Uh, when, against West Ham, sorry. He might, he might have had a bit of an impact in the build-up play, but the actual the actual mistakes we were making in defence is, is not something what... His, his his him being there or not being there is going to change. I think, and you know, you can make the argument that with him in the team and the defense comes under less pressure. But when West Ham scored their goals, the defense hadn't been under pressure. They'd probably had two or three chances all game at that point. So it's not like we were, you know, facing a flurry of uh, of chances against us um, because Marnie's out. And I think the midfield did cope quite well. Um, I, I some yeah to summarize, I don't think Marnie being out is the the biggest cause for our defensive wars at the moment. Yeah, I think I think maybe one. Of, I think if you assess the goals individually, yeah, I think you're right. Marnie probably wouldn't stop them, but I think some of the goals we've conceded have been as a result of pressure building and building, and we've not been able to to release it. And I think that's where Marnie helps. Um, all three of the goals were from crosses on Saturday, so I suppose. That that is highlighted as an issue, but two of them were from crosses from deep, as well as the opposition fullbacks. Um, we seem to be conceding far too many from crosses anyway. But is it? A, I, I don't want to single out Ben Me particularly, Nathan. But a lot of the goals do seem to come from his side. It was one each on Saturday, so not particularly his fault. But stopping crosses is an issue on both sides of the pitch, isn't it? Yeah, I think. Um... Yeah, it's been a lot of... I kind of forgot about Ben Mee over the past few games. I think other performances have kind of overridden Ben Mee's, ben Mee's performance, but it kind of stood out a little bit against West Ham. It was a bit behind the pace, I felt, at times. He looked like he were... Uh, um, he, he was just like one or two steps behind every time. And you know, and I think he slipped about four or five times as well, which is a bit worrying. I don't know if he needs to get new boots or he needs to sort out the grass or the turf or something, but he, you know, it doesn't look good viewing when he's on the six-yard line and he's fallen over his own feet. Um, uh, but, yeah, I think that's something needs to be done there, uh, corrected with that, yeah. Yeah, that one was particularly poor because I think that was a period when when we were still in the game at 2-1 and went, the me slip, like, calling, and I think we were a little bit lucky not to concede from that one, but then it was 3-1 pretty soon afterwards. Um Anyway, Kevin, I think the turning point for me in the second half was when we were getting back into the game after Boyd had scored from the corner. We scored from a corner, by the way. We've got to highlight that. After Boyd's goal, we had some pressure and Danny Ings put a header just wide. At 2-1, you think if he scores that chance, it's probably a different game. Um, well, I think I think seeing that we scored from a corner is technically correct. but um... <laughs> I'm not sure how much we had to do with it. The goalkeeper yeah. did pretty much give us that one. Yeah, it was it was pretty much it was hard not to score from that one. Um, but yeah, um, I, I, like I say, I think I think both strikers missed far too many, far too easy chances throughout the game. Um, and you, you talk about turning points that was that was potentially one. Particularly, you know, if he had scored that, 
Um, we'd have come back from from two down, back to two two, and you'd think that we, you'd think that at that stage the, the turf would have erupted into that that cold and what we know it can do at, at certain um, when we've got that big um, something to really get behind. And obviously, coming back from two goals down is something to really get excited about. And I think I also think if, if Ings had scored that, we I also think we would have gone to, gone on to win. Um, as it was, the complete opposite happens. Um, West Ham scored meant it was flat. It was if it wasn't game over already, it, it was definitely at that point then. Um, but again, I don't think you can you can single out individual um, misses either because I, I don't think that has any more significance than the ones um, that he and Duke missed in, in the first half. I think uh, in the first half, particularly Djokovic had two headers from a couple of yards out, which he just seemed to uh, to just walk towards and hope they'd hit his head and go in the right direction. He didn't seem to make any effort to to try to get a header on target. He was just hoping he'd hit hit, hit his head and and go in. Um, and then yeah, that yeah it was certainly a turning point. But I think that's only only in hindsight really. Um, I think you can look at all the different misses in in the same weight for, for me. I think it's just. You're right when you say with hindsight you can look at that, but I think even at the time the Ings header to me it felt like it felt like a key moment, and to me it seems like when these big moments come in games, that's where we fall in short. Like a miss header at the back, a clearance that's not been dealt with properly, a chance like that when it's a key phase in the game. I think they are they are important moments, and that's where it's going wrong. Um, and the worst miss, by the way, I suppose it didn't really matter, it was so late in the game, but Ashley Barnes hitting the bar from six yards out. I can't believe Moore's not been made of that. It was a terrible, terrible miss. And yeah, I, I just can't believe you missed that one. Nathan, sorry, go on. I think, to be honest, I think the only reason not, nothing's been made of it is just because everyone didn't really care about, not, didn't really care at that point. Um, maybe, you know, it sounds a bit weird saying we didn't care, but I think it was just that stage where it was game over. Um, I don't think really anyone really had any belief that we could get back into it at that point. And whereas I think Vings one is more sticks in my memory a bit more because at that point we we, we were in the game, we could have got back into it, we could have come back and won the match. Um, whereas Vings what the the Barnes one was slightly less significant in that in that fact. The Barnes one maybe just sums up our problems in front of goal. There's a chance as simple as that isn't being converted um, Nathan one positive to take from the game we do want to try and come up with some positives even though we lost again uh, the quality of crossing was much improved you've already pointed out um, Boyd and Trippier in the first half but Trippier in particular I think deserves to be singled out because the ball, the quality of balls he was putting in was absolutely outstanding he probably should have had two or three assists and compared to a lot of his deliveries this season there was a vast improvement there wasn't there Oh, definitely, yeah. It was like the old Trippier of last season, you know, that could, you know, have a go at a defence and get by them and swing a, a really, you know, deadly ball in. And I was expecting more of the same this season and it didn't really didn't really happen and I'm a bit surprised by that. But, you know, on Saturday it were, it were kind of like the old Trippier that we we knew and fell in love with um, last season. Uh, so that was, it was really good to see and, you know, it was just a shame that he didn't get them to assist because I think he deserved them, to be honest. There's not much he can do if he's putting balls like that in on a plate for the strikers and they're still missing them. So, yeah, I think that's a positive sign that the, the quality of chances that we created was certainly the best that it's been all season. And it, it's got to be just a matter of time until strikers score. We can come on to that a little bit later. And we've got some comments from a West Ham fan who's, who's contributed to the site in the last couple of weeks. Stuart Plant, who runs... 
um, one of the West Ham fan sites, Iron Views. Uh, he was going to come on the podcast tonight, but he couldn't actually, so he sent us in some comments instead. I'll just read out what he said. Um, Stuart said, It was a comfortable win, but only in so much as you hit the post a few times, and had you had an informed Danny Ings, who knows, I thought Boyd looked like he will be a very tidy player for you. Carrying on our courtesy, notched his first goal for Burnley against us. Having only seen the highlights, I wouldn't want to comment too arrogantly on the ease of our win, but it just seemed that you couldn't cope with the balls into the box. First through our left-back, then our right-back, and then from a set-piece. And Stuart also said, you'd set us up perfectly in the first half, played well yourself while staffling our attacking threat, again with a better or just an informed fucks or rings up front. I think it'll all become a lot easier for you. Um, the striker problem, Kevin, it's now eight games if you include the cup game, and none of them have scored a single goal. All four of our goals have come from wingers. It's it's not even close to being good enough, is it? Um, not even close at all, no. Um I think the only the only striker that is playing it's, it's weird. the only striker who's actually playing well is, is Djokovic, but even he is been pretty rubbish in, in front of goal. Like I said, I, I really think he should have had at least two goals um, on Saturday, and it's one of those where if we if if, he, if we're scoring lots of goals, then it's, it's really great to have somebody like him. Who, who's playing that support role and he can knock balls down, he can hold the ball, he can bring others into play, he can play out to the wide players and just be that presence in the box and that's really, really valuable um, when you've got other players scoring around you. But when that's not happening and he's coming in and missing two or three big chances a game, then it becomes slightly troublesome because I've been a big fan of Djokovic this season. Um, I've defended him quite a lot. I've, I've said it, I think he's been one of our better players but it gets to a stage where we're, we're not scoring goals and we've got a striker who is missing lots of relatively easy chances for my liking. Then you've got Dan, Danny Ings, who has... Has he, has he scored a single goal since March? I'm not sure if he has... He scored scored one in, he scored at Reading in the last game of the season. That's right, his yeah. only one since, since March. So he scored one since March. And in that time, for me, he's probably had two or three good games in that time as well. Um I got a bit of a stick at the weekend for suggesting that he was having a quiet game um, against West Ham. And but, but actually, if you look at people's comments after the game, you look at people's player ratings on message boards and comments on Twitter, and actually he's coming through a really rough time as well. A lot of people have been quite disappointed by his performance against West Ham. Um, and of course, okay, he's had, he's had a month out, but prior to that he was, he was, he was poor as well. He's been poor at the end of last season. Um, and it's trouble because I actually had huge confidence that he was going to be a really, really good uh, Premier League player, and I thought, I thought that him and Shackle would would continue to play in the Premier League beyond this season, regardless of what happens to us. Because um, I thought they both had really kind of Premier League qualities, which they're the type of players that really stand out in this league. But there's obviously um, there's obviously an issue in somewhere. I don't know if it's confidence or frustration. I think I last at the end of last season he certainly looked very uh, very frustrated. He was almost snatching at chances what she he, he wouldn't do usually. He, he just doesn't seem to be playing like Danny Ings. He used to dominate games at the top, and I think you you just seen him for flashes now, which I I really don't know what's up with him, but it's it doesn't seem like Danny Ings to me. And then behind him you've got Ashley Barnes who. Um, I think's an average at best championship player. Um, I was disappointed with him at the end of last season, really. Um, 
and then Marvin Sordell, um, who runs about a lot. Yeah, I don't think there's there's that much we can really say about Barnes and Sordell, just that there's, there's certainly no other Premier League squad that they'd be anywhere near, and they're the options that we've got off the bench. It's just a sign of where we are and how much money we we had to spend, I suppose, that that's the quality of players that we've got in reserve. Um, Nathan, we'll come to you on Ings as well. We could probably talk about Ings alone for an hour, but I did just want to pick out a tweet that you sent after the game on Saturday. You said, the more I watch Ings play this season, the more I think he's just not that interested in staying at this club. Yeah, I think... Uh, yeah, I just don't... He looks to be... It's hard to explain. I don't know. He just looks to be not interested. Um, I know you know he, he he's running around and he's going for chances, but you know that's what he's paid to do. If he just stood still on the pitch, he'd be taken off after five minutes. So you know he's going to look half interested. But I think he's just I think he's just itching for that move. Really, he knows that when we're not in the best situation to stay up, and you know I just thought I, I just think he wants that move. I think he's he's heard too much speculation of. You know the likes. You know, I read today that Newcastle and Aston Villa are, you know, interested, and and I think he just wants that move. To be honest, and to be honest, I don't think he's going the right way about it. Well, we've we've talked a lot about Ings and his and his contract before, but the, the clubs managed to keep it quite quiet. They've dampened the speculation about his future quite a lot. All that's been said is that he's happy to stay, and if you read between the lines, there it's quite clear that he's going to run his contract down. Um, it was a story in the Mail on Sunday about Newcastle, Villa and Stoke all being interested in him at the end of the season. This is the first time really um, the media's picked up on it in a big way and the speculation's obviously not going to help. Um, Kevin, as much as we can say about Danny Ings' contract, we've probably said it before, but could it be that it's becoming more of a distraction? And, And Nathan's point about commitment and not going about it the right way. He's not going to get a big Premier League contract unless he excels this season. Uh, yeah, well, first of all, I think the first uh, the first site to properly, uh, to really ex- explicitly announce that he was, what wanted to run down his contract was, was no, they never, um, reading through the lines, whereas I think other publications were just happy to quote Sean Dyche. I think we were the first ones to actually say, in black and white, Danny Ings is running down his contract. Um but I think whatever happens, if he, if he goes at the end of his season, he's going to get a quite a significant pay rise. I think wherever he goes, even even if he he goes to another top end championship club, um, because he, regardless of how he's done this season, he's still a proven incredibly good championship striker. Um, so even if he even if he went to another top top top, top championship club, I think he's still probably going to get significant pay rise. Um, from what is on at Burnley, um, I'm not sure. I believe the the uh, the, the rumours about the Newcastle and, and stuff. I don't know if that's just agent talks. It seems a bit of a weird time for that to come out because, say, he's not exactly setting the Premier League on like uh, on fire at the moment. Well, he'd been injured for a month. And it's very strange timing for that story to come out. It is, yeah, and particularly after being, it was it was quiet before. It's not like he scored a lot of goals and then and then got injured. And it's it's one of those where if if they were interested, what I, I assume we, we might have heard about it before. I'm not sure. I, I for me, I think that's probably probably just um, just agent talk. But 
it's it's certainly a distraction. It's one of those things where, regardless regardless of whether he is whether whether what's true, what's what's not true, it is another thing to beat him with. And it's not another one of those things where when he's not having a good time, when he's not playing well, it's another thing for fans to bring up. Um, it's just another thing to question him with, um, which is which is not good for anybody really. It's not good for the fans because obviously we want to. Uh, we want we want to be watching players who we really believe want to play for the club. Um, it's not good for for, for Danny Ings, obviously, because I'm sure he doesn't want speculation about his commitment going round. It's not good for for Sean Dyche because I'm sure Sean Dyche wants um, a lot more harmony around the place, and it it, it doesn't do anyone good. Um, but I think that's not to say we shouldn't talk about it because I think it, it, it's a valid question. It's something what what should be asked and 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 debated and discussed. I don't want to gang up on Nathan, but well, yeah, I agree on on commitment. But I think the some some of the comments Nathan got to that tweet were were quite telling as well. I think someone said that that Ings's activity on social media shows that he's he's dedicated to the club because he's posted a couple of pictures on Instagram of him wearing a Burnley shirt. It just seemed like a, a very strange argument to say, oh oh, he's put this on Twitter, therefore he must be happy as a Burnley player. Yeah, and I also think we need to remember that. Danny Ings hasn't got any particular affiliation to Burnley Football Club. I mean, we've done very well by him, but he's done very well by us as well. So it's it's been it's worked out well for all parties so far. But I don't think anyone would really be too upset if if he did go for nothing next summer and it'd be a tribunal anyway, because without him we wouldn't have got promoted. So we do need to remember that, and it's worth pointing out as well that everyone wants to see Danny Ings scoring goals for Burnley Football Club. It's not a case of everyone wanting him to fail that's just um, a bit ridiculous on the topic of strikers our question of the week this week was about our strikers Adam you've got that for us now yep the question of the week this week was is our attack uh, cut out for the Premier League Uh, why and why not Um, uh, the responses to that question were quite varied as you can imagine uh richard sutcliffe said uh no premier league goal uh, goal scoring experience um it might be worth mentioning to get that um to get that though would cost more than we have um austin kind of agrees he says uh no but we knew that before the season started we signed players with no hint of a premier uh premier league track record um <laughs> Tom Whitaker says no because they can't score a frigging goal in the Premier fair. League. Very yep. fair. That's fair. Um, Steve Kelly says uh, probably. Um, he disagrees with all the others. Ings and Votes took Southampton apart last season in the Cup, so may do it, do so again to similar teams. In uh, fairness, that was Southampton's reserves, so yeah. probably can't count that much by that. Yeah. Well, didn't we lose that game quite heavily? Yeah, we cut them to stretch to shreds, but um, lost. Yeah, yeah. Um, James Riley says uh, he doesn't know. Uh, and Sam, Vokes... <laughs> thanks, James. Thanks, James. <laughs> Sam Vokes isn't fit yet, um, but the midfield seem to be able to chip in with a few goals. Uh, Neil Lavery, I think I've said that right, um, said no, that they aren't cut cut out for it. And um, we signed bang average championship strikers with nothing in their recent record to think that they make the step up. Um, last few um, Benningham says if Ings had the work work ethic and me- mentality of Trippier he would have uh, scored a few already I like the Duke, Duke's work rate unsure on quality um, and that's about it 
Yeah, well, I suppose it's it's difficult to argue that the archetype for the Premier League when none of them have scored yet, but there's probably a long way to go. Um, just on this question then, Nathan, do you think the Stratforce are, are good enough? Uh, no. I think I, I agree with most of the comments. Is I, I don't think I, I don't think any of the players have shown any evidence of them, you know, that they could make the step up. Um, like I think I've mentioned earlier that Ashley Barnes looked very mediocre like end of last season, if not below average. Um, Marvin Sodell kind of just fell off the edge of the earth when he went to Bolton. Um, the only real hope we had was Sam Vokes and Danny Ings, and one of them spent half of the you know this season spent this season on the medical table, and the other half, uh, you know, he's kind of just not really done much. Um, and Djokovic has just been a battering ram for me. He's just been a big you know bull in a china shop, but we know end product, and you know it doesn't really look good on the goal scoring front unless you know the likes of Arfield, Boyd, Kartley, and. Wallace starts scoring, you know, at tricks every other week, then we're going to really struggle, I think. That's it's probably unlikely if we're going to rely on Ross Wallace to get a hat trick every week. <laughs> Jokovic, for me, I, we've talked a lot about him on the podcast before, but I, um, I agree with Kevin, I really like him, but I just can't help but feel he needs a downgrade on Sam Bolts. And when we knew Sam Bolts was going to be out until probably Christmas, I would have hoped that we'd have got a better player to replace him rather than a worse one. Um, Kevin, you've already spoke at length on the strikers, but we already seem to be counting down for, for Sam Bolts to come back, but there's a lot of points to play for before then. We can't be too too looking ahead to that one. We've got to work with what we've got at the moment. Yeah, there's a few things on that. It's potential that you know we're well adrift by, by, by the time Vokes comes back. Um, but I think even in, even beyond that, there's a lot of people putting a lot of expectation on 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 Sam Vokes. Um, there's, there's a really weird thing I'm seeing along with Burnley fans at the moment is that there's the words faith and trust uh, are coming up quite a lot, and a lot of people just seem to be just waiting for it to happen. People have got a lot of faith of it, everything's going to come good eventually, uh, and I think that applies to Sam Vokes as well. I think a lot of people are thinking, okay, we're not doing too well now, but as soon as that Sam Vokes comes back, we'll be uh, we'll be back to usual. Uh, and it's a lot of pressure to put on on, on this guy's this guy's head, particularly in that uh, we've got problems throughout the other areas of the pitch as well. Um, and you've also got to remember that Sam Vokes is also unproven at this level. Um, and similarly, he will have been out for a long, long time by the time he gets... It's going to take him a good few months to get back into into his his, his rhythm. I think he's he's hoping to be back in, in full training in about three weeks. Um, so you can probably expect him to be in full training for a month before he gets back onto the pitch. And then it's going to take him another month or two to get back to uh, to being like Sam Vokes. And at that point, you, you're getting towards the end of the season. So he's probably only going to, only going to have... Uh, a handful of games where he, he, he's going to be at full. He's going to be able to put. He, he, I, I can edit that sentence out. Um, but there's only going to, be a, going to be a full, a handful of games when he's going to be at his best, really. Um, so I think we should pretty much discount Vokes from the converse, from the conversation, really, because um, I, I, I don't think it's going to be that, that much of a difference. I think it's also. Uh... 
important to say. I'm, I'm breaking with tradition by coming in here. My, my voice has finally been heard. Um, Adam Howarth on the No No Never podcast, everyone. <laughs> He's um, only interested now is the award nominated No No Never yeah, podcast. Yeah. Like, I'm going to talk now. <laughs> I am. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's important to say that when uh, important players get injured, a lot of expectation gets placed on them and they get built up to be something that they're really not. It happened with, uh, with Chris McCann a few a few year, uh, a few seasons yeah, yeah. ago. Um, and you can you can kind of see it happening here that Sam Vokes turns into this messiah that's got the talents, talents of Messi um, and, and then he comes back and lo and behold, he's not actually a saviour after all and he, he may improve the side but he, he, he it's kind of foolish to say that he'll be like a, a one size fits all um, solution to the problems that we're having yeah it's not, it's not going to be like a giant sticking pasta that makes all the all the problems go away is it I mean I think Kevin's right that we can't expect that much from him he's similar to a lot of the players he's, he's still quite a young player he's going to be playing in the Premier League for the first time and he's got a, a serious potentially career-ending injury to come back from. So I think anything that we get from Sam Volts this season has just got to be treated as a, as a bonus. And yeah, I don't think we can be like, it'll all be fine when Sam Volts is back. But on the flip side, if I can just argue against myself for a moment, <laughs> I do think when Sam Volks plays, we are a much better team. And that's not just because Volks is a better player than Jukovic. I think he suits our style better. And I think he improves the players around him, similar to, to how Stephen Thompson used to when he used to play for, up front for us. So... I can see why people are excited about him coming back, but yeah, I think it's it's fair to point out that there's a lot of there's a lot of points to play for before then, and yeah, we could be cut off at the bottom of the league before that happens. So let's not get too excited about Sam Volts coming back because it could yet be quite a while away. Um, I think just one last thing. I think for me is just I think this expectations come from a. Like a, it's like a last ditch attempt at actually having a strike that's going to put goals in, and I think people are just kind of hoping that that's going to happen. And you know, it's this like blind faith that he'll just come back angrier and stronger and fitter and better than ever, like a Rocky moment, and he's just <laughs> going to come back and on his first game, like score the winning and winner in the ninetieth minute, and everything will be forgotten about, and we'll yeah, and we'll just stay up, and it'll be a miracle, and. I think a lot of people just need to kind of, you know, have Kev's opinion. <laughs> I'm not saying, you know, not adopt Kev's opinion, but just realistically think about it that, you know, it's, it's going to be a long journey back and, it's, it's, you know, it's going to be difficult. I think you're right. I think, I, I it's, think it's hope, isn't it, more than anything else? I think you can say that about pretty much everything and that everyone should have, should have my opinion. <laughs> I think my opinion is right on everything. Do we even do this podcast? <laughs> yeah, the if podcast next week. Like <laughs> the next, the podcast next week will just be Kev talking for an hour. Yeah, it's a monologue, and then, and then everyone will agree with him, and then everything will be great. It's turning into something really dystopian and Big Brother. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's the Eagles. It's because of the award we're all out of control now. <laughs> well, welcome to No Name Never, 1984 edition. <laughs> That's why, we got, that's why we've, we've come a finalist, you know. People don't think we're good, we've just told them that we've just told them they have to think that we're good. It's it's the Ministry of Truth. We've rewritten all the all the rubbish that we've talked over the years and made people talk. Why, do, why do you think I edit the podcast? <laughs> uh, 
just just on the awards, this is probably as good a time as any to to mention it. Faultless segue there from the NNT. That's an award nominated segue for you. Um, the FBA is, if you managed to avoid um, hearing us talk endlessly about this for the last few weeks, anyway, is the Football Blogging Awards, and we are nominated for the first time this year. The podcast is up for the best podcast award, and about three thousand blogs and bloggers were nominated. So this is quite a big deal. Um, people have voted for us in their droves already and we're hugely grateful for that to get us into the final 10 but there's some excellent podcasts that we are up against so we do need people to vote again all the details are on the website about how you can vote the address is knownandever.net slash fbas and you can vote on twitter on facebook and through their website and you can do that once through each so anything that you can do to help us get that prize would be appreciated and we're all very excited about going to manchester for a big piss up for the award ceremony next month Anyway, now that that little pug's done with, news came out today that there's going to be an England game at Turf Moor, which is, I'm very excited about this, although reaction on Twitter was a little bit more mixed. Um, it was, it'll only be a friendly, but I suppose with with half the, the squad coming from the Burnley squad anyway, I suppose it makes sense to, to have it at Turf Moor. Shell Barings and Keane should all be involved. Kevin Shaw, it's great exposure for the club as much as anything to have a big international game at Turf Moor. Um, to be honest, I don't. I don't really care. <laughs> Brilliant. I, don't think, I think the only thing we'll benefit from is I'm. I'm, I'm assuming the FA are renting the ground from us. Um, yeah, sort of. And that I. I couldn't really care less. <laughs> to be Excellent. So that's Kevin's opinion that everyone can disagree with. With that one, <laughs> um, Nathan, please tell me you're looking forward to this game. Tickets are only a tenner. It sounds like an absolute bargain to me. I'm really excited, actually. It's um, I think it, you know, really. I think it's a testament to how much the uh, the club have done to get Turf more into a position where it can host international friendlies. You know, when you think about it like that, um, the FA actually looked to us and thought actually Turf more is a suitable place that England under twenty ones will play Portugal under twenty ones. You know, at the moment, two very very good under-21 side that probably are expected to go quite a long way in the next tournament. So I'm very excited to see this game. I'll definitely be going. Yeah, I think it'll be it'll be interesting just to see some some other players and we might get to see some strikers who are good. It'll make a... a, a <laughs> yeah, exactly. It should be quite interesting. But yeah, like I say, Shell Barkeen and Ings, you'd all expect to be involved in that squad. Um if it, it's, it's worth remembering, actually, um, back to back in the day when England B played at Turf Moor, I was on this game. I remember Alan Smith and Stuart Downing were playing for England B. So in two thousand and seven, England beat Albania, and there was a certain Bessart Barisha who was on show who we signed as a result of looking really good in that game. So you know, possibly we'll sign a, a Portuguese player no one's heard of, and they'll turn out to be rubbish as well. So it'll be worth going just to see that. I think. I don't think Ronaldo will be playing though, <laughs> so we can probably discount that. Um, just before we'll, uh, we've still got a bit of time left on tonight's podcast, so we can look ahead to next weekend's game, which is again at home. Um, Everton have visited Surf Mode games on Sunday in front of the Sky cameras. I suppose Kevin, looking ahead at the games that we had in this little run after the international break, these back-to-back home games looked really important for getting that first win, didn't they? And even though Everton were improved at the weekend and won. That's still got to be an opportunity to get that result, surely. 
Yeah, well, certainly after Leicester, you went into these games thinking, okay, we can get that win now. Um, before the weekend, I looked at the games and thought, okay, West Ham's probably the most winnable of these games. Um, and I've always come out of that feeling disappointed and with confidence slightly dented for our positives to take away from that and lots of things to be encouraged by. Um, I think we the way we went forward as a team was very good. Our crossing was, was finally excellent. And if we can improve the finishing and cut out some of the mistakes of the back, we've got the bases of a decent team. Um, Everton have had some poor results this season. They'll be disappointed to be in the bottom half. But they've got some very, very good quality players in there. And um, they only just missed out on the top... Well, they were just outside the top four last season. So um, we certainly can't be complacent that they're going to be a poor team again. I think they're just waiting for everything to click. Um almost in a similar way to, to to what we are but on a very different degree um, so it's going to be it's going to be a difficult day game I don't think we'll get anywhere near as many chances as we got against West Ham um, so we've got to make sure that the few chances we do get we've got to take advantage of a lot more than we did on Saturday uh, it's worth pointing out the, the West Ham um, the West Ham's fixtures this season have their results have been much better than anyone was really expecting. They went fourth after beating us. So they're clearly the makings of a very good team. But yeah, at home, you'd still expect us to probably get something from that. Um, Nathan, Everton have got a trip to Lille in the whatever the Europa League thing's called this year. That's probably going to have an impact, isn't it? Everton have struggled a little bit in their Premier League games after Euro- European games this season. Yeah, I think that's um, and it's a good good thing to think about, and I'd forgot about um, to be honest. But I think it's a, <clears throat> I think that'll do us a favour. That um, they might be a bit tired, a bit jet lagged, and they've got a few days. But you know, especially if we hit them as quick as we did uh, against West Ham, you know, it might we might actually get that early goal, and it might actually set us up for the rest of the game. But I think looking back at the West Ham game and how the the wing backs operated against us and how they pretty much killed the game off for us we have to be really extra careful against Everton because they've got um, in my opinion one of the best in the game at the moment um, and we have to really look at stopping that and stopping goals like that against uh, against us That's a very good point, it was fullbacks to the damage in the West Ham game, Jenkinson and Cresswell and Everton's two, Coleman and Baines are arguably the best in the league so it's certainly a threat to look out for but up front as well, Everton have got plenty of talent. We've got a choice of Lukaku and Etu, which isn't a bad choice for Martinez to have to make. And also, Ross Barkley's back, isn't it? I suppose it'll be exciting to see Barkley on the turf. Yeah, definitely. He's one of my. He's up there with one of my favourite and most exciting players at the moment. He, uh, I don't know. He kind of breathes a bit of hope into England and um, that setup. But yeah, it should be good to see him, and, uh, and hopefully we can kind of. Put him a pe- put him a peg down or two, and uh, see if we can try and contain him. See if we can see if David Jones can uh, put him in his back pocket. I suppose an early goal is is going to be absolutely vital, isn't it, Kevin? I'm, we've already talked about the West Ham game, and if the if the Boyd shot right at the start had gone in, then it could have all been different. And we've only scored the first goal once against Chelsea, and although that didn't work out for us, it might make a difference if we can get our noses in front. Yeah, I think we've only been leading in games for about, I don't know how long we were in the lead for Chelsea, but it only felt like 
Not long, not long at all. Five, ten minutes, something like that. So all season we've been leading for for only a couple of minutes. And I think think if you look at the way we we fell apart almost against West Ham, I think it's going to be telling just how important that first goal was for West Ham. In that we were playing so, so well, they got that first goal. Then they they seemed to score another one straight after it. And then obviously we got the third one as well. And I think um, there's been a couple of times this season where we've, we've conceded two goals in succession quite quickly. Um, so it's obviously having an effect. I think when that first goal goes in, it's not us. Our, our heads are dropping slightly. So if we can get that first goal, hopefully it will give us that real big boost. Um, and we can start to have a bit of belief in ourselves a little more. Cause I, think we, we've, we've, I think as soon as our first goal's gone in against us, a few times we've, we've looked like we, we, don't, we don't believe in ourselves as much. Um, so if we can get an early goal, um, quite early on in the game, get get our heads up a bit more. Um, think you know we, we can win this, we will win this. Um, it could it, that could be really big for us. I think that was one of the things in, um, at the start of our last Premier League campaign um, against you know the likes of United and Everton. We we scored these these big early goals and then we, we looked really strong. We we, we especially again the, the turf. I think we can get an early goal. I was talking about how early if, if it could score that goal. To make it two-two, the turf would have been kind of erupted and would have been really behind us. I think that would happen again if we were to get an early goal against Everton. Um, I think the turf would uh, probably turn from a, a muted turf more into a at least slightly less muted turf more, um, and really, almost hopefully, shout us onto uh, to to give us that extra belief and hopefully go on and and get the result we need. I see what you mean about the the heads dropping a little bit because we haven't really come back into games after going down. The last couple of games sort of contradict that, that we fought back at Leicester and got two equalisers. Then, even though we lost the West Ham game, there was a period when we we were on top again and could have got that equaliser. So I think we can take a bit of confidence from that, even though we didn't get the results we were. But we did score five. We did concede five minutes after the opener, though. So. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's very true. I mean, at Leicester they scored again as we were still celebrating, so that's obviously not ideal. Um, Nathan, give us a prediction for the Everton game. Then. Um, I'm going to go for a one-one draw. I think we'd probably take that, wouldn't we? I mean, this first win's important, but we need to start getting points on the board as well. Realistically, a point against Everton, who are a very good team, just. Only Ori is just out of form at the moment, but a point against Everton at home, I'd take that every day of the week. I think the concern is then that the next game is Arsenal away and we could be looking at nine games without our first win. Kevin, what's your prediction? That is definitely the concern because normally you would be happy, um, like Nathan says, with, with a point against Everton at home. But uh, it's getting to that stage where now where draws aren't really good enough. Um and particularly, like you say, when we're following that up with with the likes of Arsenal, um, it's it's gonna it's just extending and extending and extending that that time without a win. Um, I really I, I want to be hopeful and say a, a one nil win, but I'm going to go for a, a, a one nil draw as well. I'm I'm, I'm afraid. Yeah, I, I think it might be a draw as well. I really hope we can get that first win. I do think the first goal is going to be absolutely vital, but. I just can't see it at the minute. I think defensively we look a bit too open and the goal-scoring problem is obviously massive. We've scored three in the last two games, which is good, but we've conceded nine in the, the last three, so 
it's just a sign for me that we we don't really seem cut out for the Premier League, and that's quite a negative and downbeat way to leave this week's None and Ever podcast. If if you've got any feedback at all, please do let us know. Um, the email address for anything podcast related is podcast at net. And a reminder that we are up for an FBA for best football podcast. So if you have enjoyed the show, please do consider taking a second to vote for us. All the details are on site at net slash FBAs. And thanks as well to our sponsors at Neville G, without whom we couldn't do the website or the podcast either. So guests this week have been Nathan and Kevin. If you don't want to be a guest as well, please do get in touch. But that's all we've got time for this week. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.